Hey, welcome to the Next Wave podcast. Consider us your chief AI officer in your business. My name is Matt Wolf. I have the number one YouTube channel in the AI space. I also run futuretools.com and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Lands, founder of lore.com. We wanna bring you the latest AI news and trends, show you how you can use AI in your business and personal life and help make it super easy for you to understand and execute. We're gonna equip you with the knowledge to thrive in this upcoming wave of change. Most people are lazy. They're just thinking, oh, it's all too hard for me or I'm a failure or whatever else. If I see something, I'll go, I want to explore that. And once I'm fully informed, then I'll make that decision. And This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump. And in this episode, we continue the conversation with Dale Gilham, founder of Wealth Within and author of best-selling How to Beat the Managed Funds by 20%. We'll find out his strategy, motivations and what you can do to work towards your financial goals. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. So, what was holding Gilham back when starting his property investing journey? Cash flow because cash flow is king. If you don't have cash flow, you've got nothing um, and property requires cash to get into it, larger amounts to cash to get into it, especially nowadays. I mean, it's all relative, you know, when um, when I first bought my first house when I was, you know, uh, in my young time with my first wife, you know, I had, I'd been saving up in, in managed funds at the time, which is what you do because I didn't realise what you do and I cashed that all out, put that into, you know, the, the deposit for the house. But 20% back in those days, they're still relative to today you know, in terms of monetary terms and what you got paid. You know, my first paycheck was, you know, geez, you, I'd, I'd get paid more than two hours and I did the whole week back then. Um, but it's still really, really relative. Uh, and to me, it's about, you know, getting, yeah, being able to afford it and getting that cash flow. And that's why I often get a lot of young people ringing us up going, you know, I can't get into property, so I'm thinking of shares, what do I do? And to me, that's just a brilliant brilliant way for young people as soon as somebody starts work they should be putting you know 20 to 30 percent of their income into their investments and property is fantastic investment for everybody but if you don't have a couple hundred thousand dollars nowadays what do you do you build it up somewhere else gillan believes in the share market as alternative to saving money compared to salary sacrifice alone well, it is. That's where it's about, the, the share market. And I say to the, the, these people, these young kids, and I just say, look, you know, if you're putting away money into the share market, it's going to compound at a, at a really, really good rate because dividend yield, average dividend yields on good shares is around about 3.5%-ish. You know, that's what a rental yield is in some places around Australia. Sometimes it's a bit higher, a bit lower, but average rental yields in Melbourne are around 3%. You don't need to be Einstein, but just starting out. 
with $1,000 and then buy another $1,000 of the shares and then another $1,000 until you've got about 8 to 12 shares and then you just keep building on top of those. You know, put two, another $1,000 into the first one and you keep building it. And you'll find it compounds pretty quickly um, over a period of time. And so when these young people are getting, if they're starting at 18, and by the time they get to their 30, when they're 30 and they may be looking at getting married, you know, because the average marriage age now is around that sort of 30-ish now, and then they're looking at buying their first property, they could have a really, really good deposit for a house so they're not having to borrow to the hilt. Because we're seeing a lot of people now, young people now moving further and further out of the city. His advice to young investors is not to rush into moving into your first home as it can impact your deductions. You know, like it's an hour and a half commute into the city to go to work or two hours to get in the city by public transport because that's where they can afford to buy the property. But they really want to live in the city. To me, this is where a lot of people um, want to own a house with their name on the title. And I haven't lived in a house with my name on the title in 25 years and yet I'm a constant property owner um, I, I just don't do that because it doesn't make economical sense to me in terms of financial sense if somebody buy, if somebody's a young person they're better off living at home putting their money together going out and getting investment property if they've got enough deposit and let the tenant and the tax man pay for it rather than move out and buy a home because you buy a home you've got your name on the title you've just lost all your deductions you know you can't You've got, a, you've got that mortgage and you're chained to what I would call chained to an anchor, a boat anchor, and you've, and you've got enforced slavery to a bank. Whereas to me is get investment properties, you know. And one thing I learned, one of the smart things I learned off Michael Yardney is to buy a house that, you know, build a house in your, in your, in your family trust and then go and live in it, rent off your own family trust. That's a great way to make a lot of money because it's all tax deductible. His biggest tip for investors is to buy a piece of land in your family trust, build on it, live in it and rent it off yourself. The best part, no need for property managers to arrange it for you. I didn't have no property managers involved, we just did an agreement because a family trust is a, in a, is its own entity as such. I mean, obviously there's a corporate trustee of it yeah. where the trust is, holds the asset. So, all you do is a rental agreement between yourselves personally because yeah. you're a separate legal entity and the family trust. Um, and as long as you're paying roughly around market value. Um, market value rent, you've got to rent it to somebody. So why not rent it to yourself? So and that's the point is you, you and that covers everything. Like we had huge, big, double, big Liebherr fridges. It was eleven thousand dollar fridge. You know, all Neff and Asco appliances and barbecues, all that stuff got depreciated. Everything. Everything got depreciated. Perfectly legal. You build an investment property or you have an investment property and you rent it out fully furnished, you can do that nowadays. We've always been able to rent out a property that's fully furnished because they always have those. If you're worried about this type of rental arrangement, contrary to what you may have first thought, it is actually perfectly legal to do this provided it's done the correct way. Obviously, speak to a lawyer before going ahead with it. It is, it's been possible forever and a day. It's a family trust. I'm not talking about superannuation here. Yeah, I'm family only, trust. I'm only talking about a family trust because you've got an investment property. What's the difference whether you rent it off the family trust or somebody else does? Mm-hmm. As long as you're paying, as long as you're not trying to pay half the rent, you know, you're, you're paying market rates uh, at rent and you're maintaining the property, it's perfectly 
perfectly fine. It's perfectly legal. It's like um, businesses, uh, like some like myself, let's say, buying a commercial premises and mm. moving my business into that and renting off. It's still my – I own the business, yeah. but I also own the property through my superannuation. But that's perfectly legal. Same thing. Mm, it's okay. just – there's still a tenant and a, and a, and a, a landlord. That's the civil situation. Yeah. And there's lots of little things like that you learn from people that are smart in, in terms of property. Yeah. And so, and as I said, I've had lots of property mentors. You know, I could go back, like Hans Jacoby back in the 80s. Like he was a property guru back in the 80s, and you probably never heard of him. No. Um, you know, so there's lots of people that I've met along my journey because I just, you know, you meet them and you, you, have, you buy them and, hey, can I ever buy your beer? And you have a chat with them. So, and they're all quite happy to do that. So, and these people, all these people I'm mentioning, they've all written books and multiple books as well in Australia. So, um, that doesn't actually make you an expert, but you've got a book. <laughs> but, uh, but these are all people that know what they're talking about. And, you know, they weren't, they're not pretentious. They're not, you know, I mean, they, everybody has a bit of an ego, but, you know, these are all people who are actually actively doing it. And that's the difference. Gilhead recommends his book for the first-time investors as well in addition to The Magic of Thinking Big and The Richest Man in Babylon. He believes these books will train your mind and leave you with the right attitude. Look, with shares, you know, I mean, obviously, if people are looking at it and investing, I mean, they, they could look at my book. I haven't written it. Trading books in terms of how to trade the share market, there are like, there's pretty much none I actually recommend. I've read a couple and every time I start reading them, they're just either really really highly technical that you just unless you're like me you won't understand them but then when i read them i go why would you do that you're making it hard work um so and the ones that i would recommend most people wouldn't understand the content in it because you need a already need to be a really high level uh trader to to actually read them um but more about starting out so it's more about getting your toe in the market whereas too many people try to build the penthouse before they have the foundations down in the share market so they're going out and you get a lot of people you know trying to every every decade or every few years you get a change in what instrument that's being promoted you know back in the 90s it was all futures trading and then it went into options trading you know, and you had all these gurus coming out talking about options and options and because you can make a lot of money out of that but, but most people didn't realize how high risk they were then it went into cfds and then it went into e-minis and then it went into um um we've got currencies at the moment and now we've got cryptos coming out and cryptos are the biggest bubble that we've seen since the tech boom <laughs> yeah, you know? so much and fun. we're getting 21 year olds to 25 year olds trying to trade cryptos and they don't even know how to tie their shoes yet and to me it's it's like no and I, i've said a couple of them i said professionals aren't in the cryptocurrency market and they go yeah yeah they're not are they and i go well, what does that actually tell you if if I'm not in the cryptocurrency market as a professional, why would you be in it? Because to me, it's just really high risk, and I, there's much better ways of making money, safer ways of making money. So it's about understanding what you're doing first and learning. So getting that basics first, so understanding property, understanding property demographics, looking at what you need to do and what are the mistakes that people make with property. You know, all too often, you see people they bought. You know, they bought the family home or they bought the neighbour's home or they bought the home around home around the corner from where they grew up because they know the area. Whereas to me, I don't care whether my house is in Perth, in Darwin or in Tasmania or, or across the road. It's just numbers on a page to me. And if the numbers add up, it's, a, it's an investment that I'll take. 
if the numbers don't add up, I don't care. It's just not on my radar. And that's how dispassionate you need to be with property and with shares. You know, to me, you know, some great books. The books that I would recommend people are some of the ones that I recommended earlier, you know, like, you know, The Magic of Thinking Big, you know, Richest Man in Babylon, you know, those sorts. Acres of Diamonds is another one. All of these books train you train your brain and train that attitude and because to me attitude really is everything you know it's you know with the share market i talk of when i'm teaching traders and mentoring traders i say being a successful share, share trader is 80 percent of how you think about it only 20 percent of your technique and it's the same with property you know people you're always taking risk with any investments and you know in you know if you're going to invest in a property that's you know five hundred thousand a million dollars or whatever it is you're going to be running through your brain that risk and you're going to be going oh, am I making the right decision? But training your brain in what I would call brain food um, is will get you to the to the results you want. My business name is Wealth Within, and the reason why it's called that is because very early on I I decided that if I create a more wealth on the inside, then it will manifest itself on the outside. Gilliam initially started to invest in the share market. This allowed him to put more money into his property portfolio, therefore reducing the amount owing on his loans. Got into it um, and started paying down the loans, etc. Then I started buying shares. Then I, I set up a line of credit with my equity and then went and bought more shares with that. Um, and then when I started trading those shares, so what I was doing is I was bringing, I was paying off my line of credit. Every time I sold a share, I put the money back into the line of credit. So, and every time I bought shares, I took money out of it. So what I was doing is compounding my repayments going down. So what the difference between what I owned and what I owed just kept going down. And then I did something that I wouldn't recommend anybody doing, but in those sort of um, late 80s or early 90s, the market was pretty good. Early 90s, the market was pretty good. I actually went and used my shares and then went and got a margin loan. So I double leveraged, which is pretty scary. Wow. Um, but okay. at that stage, yeah. you know, I was probably a little bit naive. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't do that now, but I double leveraged. And so I had doubled my portfolio size with my shares. And again, I kept trading and I was paying off the margin loan and going into credit and paying down my loan and I could have been hit by a bus and everything was paying for itself. I wouldn't I didn't need to bring any income in to actually fund any of that. My house, all that, because once I had tenants in the house were paying for it, the tax man was paying for it, shares were going in. So it's a pretty simple way of doing it. Uh, but if you don't have a house yet, as I was saying earlier, just get a thousand dollars, buy a blue tube shoe. And uh, top twenty, just start buying top twenty shares. And you really don't have to be too um, super focused on exactly which one, which is probably contrary to what a lot of people believe is my first book, How to Beat the Managed Funds by 20% that I mentioned, I just used the top 20 um, shares from 1997 to 2007 and just said, if you bought and held what you would have got, and I broke them up into four different portfolios with no analysis and the returns were roughly averaging 20% per annum. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into his mindset. And we all too often focus on what we don't want rather than what we do want. And often people, when we're talking about shares, they'll go, look, you know, I, you can lose money and this. And they keep focusing on not having money. And people say, I can't afford it. When you keep telling yourself you can't afford it, that means you're not going to be able to afford it. 
how he mitigates his losses with investing. My goal is to be medium to long term in the marketplace. I've got some rules around buying, I've got my rules around selling, I've got rules around stop losses and protection of my capital and that's all it is. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharp and you're listening to Property Investory. Are you looking at buying or investing in property? Like what are the property hotspots or how do I start my portfolio? Clever ways to renovate and how to make an extra $50,000? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts at the Property Buy Expo in Brisbane on the 26th to 27th of May. Use the promo code PI for a free 2-day pass valued at $50. For tickets and more information, visit the website at propertybuyexpo.com.au. Now back to the show. For Gilham, it's about putting the money there and just letting it do its thing. Similar to property investing, he believes that it's important not to get scared by market movements. I say to people, well, you can go to an auction on any one day, you can have two houses side by side and they'll go for different prices even though they're the same property and we saw that on the block on Sunday you know, for the auctions last weekend, you know. One house went for four, four, over $400,000 more than the other four houses, you know, and but they're in exactly the same street, pretty much the same, but one house went for a hell of a lot more. So how does that actually work? Whereas a share, it's much easier to value because they've been traded every second of every business day uh, between you know 10 and 4 p.m. That's what's happening. You've really got to be disciplined. And, and what I mean by discipline is not necessarily... You've, if you've got a strategy, and this is the difference between 90% of people in the share market and good share traders is that I can place a trade and go off down the coffee shop and forget about it. I don't have an app on my phone that gives me live pricing. I don't ever have live pricing on my mobile phone. I don't have live pricing on my computer at all because when you've got live pricing on the computer and you, you're looking at it, you're getting sucked into a black hole to hell on in investing because you're starting to then buy into the emotions of the market and I don't need that. As an investor, you need to be clinical whether it's property or shares, you need to be black and white. In property, I know there are certain unbreakable property rules, absolute 100% unbreakable rules. I know there's some variables around those as well. And when I would go to buy a property is a set of criteria. I need the property to be near a school. I need this, 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 and this. If it doesn't fit that, it's not the property I want. And that's the stuff that I've learned from my mentors and people that I've, I've mentioned on this but the same with the share market is is I have a goal. Right? My goal is to be medium to long term in the marketplace. I want to buy blue chip shares. I want to average sort of nine months to 18 months in any one stock and trade. I've got some rules around buying. I've got my rules around selling. I've got rules around stop losses and protection of my capital. And that's all it is. And once you've, if you know when you're buying, I'm going to buy when it does X. And if I get into it, then I'm going to sell if it does X. That's it. You just shut it down and go for a walk, go to the beach. That's how simple it should be. And it can be that simple and it's not hard to learn to do that. Whereas there's a lot, a lot, a lot of myths in the share market and we we get bombarded every day in the media. Gilliam's personal habits include thoroughly researching your topics, talking to the right people and having courage when asking for advice. 
most people are lazy. And they're, they're lazy not because they don't want to, they don't want to be lazy. They're, they're lazy because they don't know what to do. And then they, they're just thinking, oh, it's all too hard for me or I'm a failure or whatever else. So they don't even try to do it. So to me, it's always, I, I try and become, or I try to be what I would call an explorer. So what I, if I see something, I'll go, I want to explore that to, the, to really look at it properly and go, well, once I'm fully informed, then I'll make that decision. And probably to give you an example, we get inquiries every day from people wanting to look at our course. Now, I know out of every 100 people, we can only speak to 30 of those. The rest of them won't ever talk to us. They'll just go to our website, never respond to an email, never respond to a phone call. And of the 30 we'll actually speak to, half of those won't ever speak to us again and they'll only give us a real cursory type of thing. Now, to me, that's just stupidity. It's like you've got, whether it's us or another company, it's about get all the information you need, talk to them properly, really understand what the opportunity is and then decide. But people are too scared of being sold something. He believes it's very important to educate yourself no matter how much you think you know. They don't investigate and you only have to go to an expo and I go to you know, expos all the time. I'm going to be at the Traders Expo in Vegas on Thursday, um, American time which is out Friday but it'll be there. But when I go to expos, it doesn't matter whether it's a home show or investment expo, I walk into all the booths and talk to people and find out what they're doing and how they're doing it and get information. Because it's about understanding things first and then making a logical, rational decision from there. But a lot of people are too scared of being sold. And that's what I mean by poor mentality is you. There's an, old, there's an old saying, you get what you focus on most. So if you're focusing on not having money, then that's what you'll have. And people always giving giving excuses of, I don't have the time and I don't have the money and both of those are lies uh, in most cases is if you if it was important enough you'd find the time and you'd find the money um, and it, it, to me an excuse is a lie covered with the skin of reason and people say to me I don't have the time it's not that this they don't have the time it's in 90 90% of 99% of the cases is they're not making it important enough to allocate the time so that's where I look at it and go, well, what is important? And I mean, you had, um, I think it's it, um, Stephen Covey talks about the, is it the four quadrants, you know, important. Yeah, you just sit down and, well, what's important? The four quadrants of, of mm. life or four quadrants of, of investing? Oh, the four quadrants of life, you know, is it important, is it urgent, is, or is, it, is it just urgent or is it, and it's not important. So looking at what's important to you and writing that down, what's important to you and focus your attention on that, not on the other areas and we all too often focus on what we don't want rather than what we do want and often people when we're talking about shares they'll go look you know you, know, you can lose money and you, this and they keep focusing on not having money and people say I can't afford it when you keep telling yourself you can't afford it that means you're not going to be able to afford it whereas change the way you talk about it it's not about you can't afford it. It's just right now you don't have the capital to do that. So, but how the, the question should be how can I afford that? So, what do I do? And then you set a plan of that to to get that. And most people defeat themselves before they even get started. And it doesn't matter whether it's property or shares or any other types of investment. 
Gilam's advice to his younger self involves being especially cautious when it comes to consultants. Don't trust consultants. I find consultants are the most annoying people on the planet. They tell you what they, they, they know everything, but all they're doing is they give you a lot of theory and really don't help much. It's, you really understand it yourself. Do your own research and understand it yourself. Don't trust other people. Yeah, so, I agree. It's yeah, due diligence. Yeah, it's about, I've always said to people, you know, if I'm going to make money or lose money, then I want to be at fault for that. Yeah. It's whatever it is. I don't want to blame other people. And that's where I see things like the cryptocurrencies. There's going to be blood on the street sometime down the track. And I know with 100% certainty, there's going to be people that will be wiped out with it. Absolutely 100% certainty. But what I also know is they're going to start pointing the finger at the government saying, why didn't you do X? Why didn't you tell me? And yet we're telling people. And it's about being open and listening to people. And that was one of the things one of my mentors said to me, as I briefly mentioned earlier, is when you're in an expert, shut up, listen, because you can't learn while you're talking. It's impossible to learn while you're talking. Listen to experts. And if an expert's telling you, you stay out of this property market because of X or don't go and get these sorts of tenants because of Y, then listen to them. Don't complain when you've stuffed it up that you should have listened. Um, and to me, it's about being humble, and that's, you know, it, it really is about being humble and saying, well, okay, I'm a servant of the market. I don't master it, and I'm an expert in the share market, and I know what I'm doing, but I still am a student of the market, and it, I'm still a student of the property market. I don't know everything about property, um, but I know where to get the information I need from really good people, but I'll go and learn more about it if I don't understand it. Yeah. And to me, it's being open to learning because um, if you're not teachable, nobody can help you. If you wish to connect with him, learn more about his strategy or find out about his mortgage services, you can reach out to him via his website. Well, on our website, wealthwithin.com.au is my website. I've got a podcast guy called Talking Wealth, which we discuss everything from loans and properties and stuff like that. So if you just Google Talking Wealth, there's a whole heap of uh, podcasts there, like oh, 800, 900 podcasts. So they can listen to those as well. But um, but yeah, just wealthwithin.com.au. Thank you to Dale Gilham, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinveststory.com. Simply type in the search bar Dale Gilham and select that episode to learn more about his story. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, then head over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com to receive your free case studies. Thanks for listening.